On today's show, a visit from an ex-prospect prompts a do-over draft? We seek proof that Andres Jimenez isn't actually a magician, and Cleveland prepares to send the biggest thank you note to their manager. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Welcome to the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ, that's Zach. But do you remember when you would do the graduation party, the end of high school? Maybe you could even rope this into uh, marriage as well. But I would think more graduation parties, because this is my mindset. Remember, you'd have to send out the thank you notes later. And <laughs> you never knew what to put in those things. Dear whomever, thank you for the blank. It will be very important to me. Thanks again, TJ. Like, I, I never knew. So it was just following like a Mad Lib style of a thank you note. Thank you for the money. It will help me in college. Send it off. Thank you for... Do people even send thank you notes anymore? Is this all just electronic? I don't even know what people do anymore. You just gave me a brilliant idea. Oh, God. <laughs> when my kids are old enough, I'm going to have them write thank you notes to all their relatives when they get birthday gifts. If they get money or a gift card or something, I'm just going to have them write the most outrageous thing. <laughs> so my wife's... My wife's grandfather would send checks for your birthday, um, for Christmas, and you, he would be adamant that you include in your thank you note back to him what you're using the money for. And I'm going to have my kids write just the weirdest <laughs> stuff to <laughs> creep people out. Dear Grandma, thanks for the $50. I'm going to buy a bunch of rats to feed my pet snake. Oh my God. Just like stuff, just things like that. I mean, uh, I just picture, I don't even remember we'll do. what I said, but it was just, thank you for the cash. This will fuel my 2 a.m. Taco Bell cravings. I appreciate it as I'm trying to there you go. motivate myself to go to class. But we saw how that goes because we're sitting here doing this, telling you about the show. Thank you for clicking play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you happen to catch the show. Thank you to those of you that use the the code over at SeatGeek, Selby, I've been seeing some uptick in that, so I'm happy some people saving money. Courtesy of SeatGeek, use the code Selby, and this show is brought to you in part by the code over at SeatGeek, Selby, where you can save $20 off your first ticket purchase. I don't know, are, are people still able to get tickets to the Farewell Tito show, where you will be given a chance to have your thank you note, which is your chance to give an applause, a, a thank you, a tip of the cap, however you want to phrase it. I'm curious to see what that turnout will be like because it does. It seems like it's shaping up to be Tito Francona's last game as manager of this team. 11 years. It's our favorite game, buddy. Imagine telling yourself before the 2013 season that Terry Francona will be here for 11 years. What would you have said and what would, what would have been a successful run as Indians, now Guardians manager? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I I covered two years of Maniacta. My first year, the team started 30 and 15, and I thought, oh, the 90s, 
90s Indians are back. It's just a little different. Instead of Bell and Ramirez and Tomey blasting home runs, it's Ezekiel Carrera with a squeeze bunt <laughs> to drive in the go-ahead run. Um, and then reality sunk in pretty quick, right? We, we thought they were going to be good. We thought they were setting themselves up for success in 2011. They traded for Ubaldo Jimenez. And then in 2012, they went 5-24 and 24 in August. Manny Acta lost his job, and you, know, you really didn't know what to think. Um, I, so it's it's hard because no one expects 11 years. Francona didn't. Chris Antonetti, Mark Shapiro, Mike Chernoff, I've asked all of them that question. None of them anticipated 11 years. And, you know, it's it's hard evaluating this prompt in Cleveland because there's a 75 year championship drought. So, you know, that's looming over every sentence you utter where if you say, you know, this is wildly successful, more productive than I ever could have imagined. There's always a, yeah, but right. And so, I mean, it still is. I, I, it had been so long since they had sustained success, and it took some time. I mean, 2014 and 2015 were definitely big bumps in the road. Um, but that run in 16, 17, 18, 19, kind of, it was really good. And even though they didn't finish the job, and they had disappointing postseasons in 17 and 18, didn't make it in 19, even though they won 93 games. Um, you know, I think it was a nice reminder. It's just, it's set baseball in the city so strange, especially for us. We grew up in the 90s. That's what caught our attention. We thought that that's the standard. And yeah, that's just that how that's it is. <laughs> yeah. Normal, right. And, when will it ever end? Imagine you know, looking at that at that point. When do you see the finish line? Never. It will never end. But I think the thing that's crazy is that between the end of that run and 2016-17, they never put together back-to-back competitive years. So it was a reminder of what's possible. Um, certainly, you know, the fan base getting to experience winning baseball, which any fan base deserves, is great. But it didn't have that perfect ending you know the the script is missing that chapter where the guy at the end of his long successful hall of fame career ends another drought and you know it's too bad that that never happened because it would have been a fantastic story to tell on some level telling yourself in that moment that this team would be in the world series in a, in a few years what totally felt believable it's terry francona this is what this guy did Throughout his Boston career, he made teams good. He was the leaders of those teams. He helped end those droughts in Boston. And so telling yourself before the 2013 season that only a handful, a small handful of years later, you would be in the fall classic again wouldn't have been surprising. And I think looking at it once it's over, you still look at the totality of of Tito's tenure and you'd say, wow, more often than not, pretty much always competitive. We can debate what competitive is, what, what truly is competitive, but they were always at least making things interesting in September. At the same time, it is weird that two of his final three seasons are two of his worst 
in Cleveland, especially what happened in 2022. It would be interesting if 2020 to 2022 didn't play out the way that it did. How would we look if it was if it was three years of just kind of before that tenure ended? But that really I don't even think it would have been in question. But what happened last year really solidified this has been an outstanding run under Terry Francona. And of course, when he had his health issues, you at, at that point, you didn't know if he was going to remain the manager. And so for for last season to happen the way that it did, it just, again, it cemented his legacy in Cleveland as being the greatest manager that this team has ever had. But at the end of the day, they still didn't win a title. And so it is kind of, if you're being honest with yourself, you have some level of disappointment there, despite the fact that you would take an 11-year run having a shot to go win a title a couple of times and being in the World Series this close to winning it, that's a really healthy, extremely happy 11-year run. But still, at the end, there is that level of a bittersweet ending. I don't know how you would phrase it. It's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, and I think Tito would say that because he didn't ultimately accomplish what he came here to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to romanticize things, and 2016 is the only time that they made it past the first round, right? It's the only time they made it, they they escaped the ALDS. And you think about, you know, I, I have a 4,000-word feature on Francona running Tuesday morning of this week. And let me tell you, getting that to 4,000 words... It could have been 15,000 words. <laughs> I mean, it could certainly, hint, hint, wink, wink, be a book. Like, Ooh. there is so much to write about his tenure, about his career. This is a guy who we all know that photo that hangs in his office behind his desk, black and white photo. He's a toddler in this photo. I think he's four years old and he's in the dugout or he's, he's sitting against the dugout railing. And his dad's behind him. There's a line of kids and then a line of players for the Indians. I think it was in 1963. And, you know, that was his introduction to big league baseball, right? When he's in, are you in diapers at four? I should know this. No. Pull-ups? Yeah, definitely pull-ups. Okay. Um, Diapers, no. Definitely not. Metaphorically speaking, Major League Baseball has been in this guy's blood. His his universe has orbited around Major League Baseball or high school baseball or college baseball since he was in diapers. And he is the definition of a baseball lifer. And what happens to a baseball lifer when you take baseball away? Like, it's it's weird to think about. I've been asking people that for the last six weeks. You know, other people who have coached for him, people who know him, better than he knows himself. And nobody wants to think about what that might look like. You know, is he sitting on the couch in nothing but underwear and there's grease stained pizza boxes on the floor and he's watching prices, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's Wait, just still so in the manager's foreign. office. Like he hasn't left yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so foreign to think about because he has just been embedded in baseball. Mm-hmm. And since he was, two or three or four, you know, the only summers where he didn't have obligations. I mean, 2011 and with, or 
2012 with ESPN, but by August of that year, you know, he had been going in clubhouses and prepping for broadcasts and realizing, shit, I already missed this. I got to get back. It was less than a year. He's back with a major league team as manager. And then in 1991, he was trying to get one last shot with the Cardinals. They release him at the end of spring training. Uh, he went home for about six weeks to take care of his parents who were both ill. Then he went home to Tucson and he's sitting on the couch watching Gilligan's Island and taking real estate courses. And his wife's like, what the hell are you doing? And then Buddy Bell calls, offers him a coaching job, leaves for Sarasota the next morning, and the rest is history. Like, this guy has never taken a breath away from a baseball field. So when you think about all of that, and the fact that he spent the last 11 seasons of his career in Cleveland, and that he was begging them to offer him the job, and they said like it felt like we were de-recruiting him, telling him, you know, the payroll is going to be small. You know, we just lost 94 games. You know, we're not very good. Like, that's that's an unbelievable script. And so to not have that perfect ending, you know, just it would have made too much sense, I think. For him to be the, you know, LeBron had to be the guy to end Cleveland's drought. Francona, I feel like he should have been the guy to end the, the 1948 hex. Well, there's always Will Venable, so we'll see about that. <laughs> Hold on. Whoa. We'll hit the pause button on that. And we were going to spend a lot more time this offseason looking back at Tito, Tito's tenure with Cleveland and the managerial candidates and what's going to become of that. we got plenty of time this offseason to get to that. But, of course, with the organization's chance to say thank you and, and in some ways goodbye to Terry Francona and the fans getting that as well, fitting that we discuss it. And I can't wait to read your feature, much like the feature you wrote today, on the former Cleveland prospect, now Cincinnati Reds outfielder who's had a very good season with the Reds and all Guardians fans are wishing he was still here. Will Benson. First of all, tremendous story. Loved it. If you haven't, if anybody hasn't read it, go check out Zach's Twitter feed. Go find a link to it. I mean, it's everywhere today because everyone truly loves it. So you did a great job there. Before we get into kind of this connection to Cleveland and what we have planned today, when you write a story like that, what do you feel after it's out there? <laughs> because oftentimes you talk to somebody, in this case a player, where there's some personal tragedy, there's something that impacts them emotionally, and on some level you would never want to write a story like that. You would much rather everyone be happy and great and everything. No one has, has to experience anything like that. But at the same time, I would think it would it would be therapeutic and, and for the player to talk about something, to bring something to light that maybe not everybody knows and you want to honor the player or honor the person in that player's life. For you, you got an opportunity to do that. You provided the voice. So how do you how do you feel internally about writing about something that's heart wrenching and you know people are gonna feel something emotionally when they read it? But at the same time, it is a positive because you're bringing this player, this person, this coach, this front office member, it's bringing it out to light and something they want to discuss and you can kind of put it out there for everybody to see. How do you, how do you put that together internally? Yeah, it's, this one was interesting because it kind of was five years in the making. Um, first conversation I ever had with him outside of when he was drafted was 
on a backfield in Goodyear, and I think he, I think they like pulled him from a minor league, like a scrimmage, to talk about. He had hit a home run in a big league game the day before, and I think they were very excited for him to get some coverage. But I didn't anticipate him mentioning some really personal stuff and he's crying on a field and his teammates yeah. and like they're playing a game i remember there's a foul ball hit right at us at one point it was bizarre um you know it's weird like we're objective right and i wins and losses are not i'm not sitting there like praying that player x is going to deliver in this moment so the team can win but you do figure out pretty quickly who's a good person and who's maybe not and it's it's certainly easier to root for the good guys and you know you just wish them well and i mean you know it tj like the first time we talked to will benson like this guy had the charisma of the rock in 1999 right like it was so impressive and from day one this kid is 18 years old talking about wanting to he had all these big bright ideas for how to help his community and um, you know, he was someone who deserved the spotlight and you knew he was going to work hard to do everything he could to put himself in the position to give back. Um, so it, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, you know, you're grateful that this family is sharing their story. You are so careful to tell it in the proper way. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think a lot of people out there realize, and, and like Will said this to me, he's like, we are human beings. A lot of people think that these guys are robots, and especially in baseball, we just look at stats, and we look at the slash line, and we look at the profile, and we look at the metrics, and we just assume that this person is going to do this for 162 games, but we don't really know what makes them tick and what motivates them, what drives them, and their backstory that has propelled them to where they are now and will keep them moving forward. Um, and something like this, I mean, I just think it, it was powerful. And so I'm glad it's out there. It's been cool to watch him get an opportunity and for a team that is scrapping and clawing and trying to get a wild card spot. Um and he's a part of that, and it's 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 pretty wild. And you being the crazy person that you are, you pitched an idea to me. It was perfect because you did just talk to Will Benson, and he fits the mold of somebody that would fall into the category of a draft scenario, the redo draft, the uh-oh, we screwed up draft, that we would like to have a do-over draft. And when you said you wanted to do this, I questioned your sanity. But you know what? The more I thought about it, this is right up our alley. We like to ruin people's days, their weeks, their months, their years, <laughs> by talking about what it could have, should have. And we have, when the organization does great things in all seriousness, we give them the credit they deserve for it. But as we've been discussing for the last year and maybe more, they've had some misses. Certainly some things they would like to have back. Will Benson might fall into that category now. I don't know. Privately, if you gave them truth serum, would they say they regret trading him the way to Cincinnati and believing in Oscar Gonzalez and, and Will Brennan and 
Miles Straw and the rest of this outfield that's not named Stephen Kwan, I think they absolutely would admit that they, they made a mistake. So, with that in mind, you wanted to do a draft. A draft of those moments, those redos. I didn't know how far back you wanted to go. I didn't know what <laughs> would... Are we talking about moves made? Are we talking about moves not made? Are we talking about things that were potentially on the table for them to do? And so I think all of that falls into the mix here, right? It's all of the above. No. Oh, no. It's not. Oh, really? But I guess it is. Well, I mean, I meant, you know, when we talk about front office nightmares and hindsight, I think we're talking about the last calendar year. I think we'd agree, you know, we didn't have a ton of reason to criticize the front office until maybe a year ago. Not saying they're infallible, but like the track record over the last year or so has been kind of rough. That's true, but I still but if have... You want, I mean, what do you want to do? You want to take this back to like 1990? I, I've got a double-digit list of things going Drafting back. Drafting Paul Shuey over Derek Jeter? <laughs> the number one pick. How did you know that's what I was going to go with? I, the furthest thing I went back to was the 2017 offseason. I think this it would have mm. been before 2018. That's the furthest thing that's on my list. If you want to focus just on the last year, fine. There's no rules to this. There's Nobody's a winner. Nobody, well, maybe we're all losers when we actually go through this list. The Guardians are the losers. I think we just make it whatever we want as we do this draft. But let's be honest here. Okay. The real reason, let's all call it out as we see it, the real reason why you wanted to do this, Zach, is because you were just missing a chance to do rock, paper, scissors. I knew it. I knew you wanted to do this. I should have predicted it. All right. Huh. Ready? It's on shoot. Let's get this all out Hang of the on. way. Let me let me strategize. No, no, no. There's no strategy. Let's go. We're 22 minutes in. You know how this is going to go. I don't want to make this an hour. And Can we do a practice? A half episode. A practice of rock, paper, scissors? You've been doing rock, paper, scissors since you were Tito's age in the dugout. No, there's no practice. Let's go. I don't know. Hold on. On shoot. Fingers are sore from typing so much. <sighs> Let me stretch. I'd like to have a redo on this draft, admitting that I'll do it, based on the way that this is going right out of the gate. Come on, let's go. So it's rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And I make my motion on shoot? Yeah. You don't do one, two, three? No, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Here we go. Okay. Do I say shoot and then do it? Do I do it simultaneously? As, as you're saying shoot, throw down your weapon of choice. Yeah. Okay. And then we're just doing the three? Three choices? What else are you going to mix? A bazooka? Yeah. Yes. Know, do you want to do like a wild card? <laughs> Let's go. Rock, paper. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Your my internet might be lagging a little bit. Come on, I got a new router. Let's go. Rock. All right, ready. Paper, scissors, shoot. What is that? Gotcha. Scissors. Scissors, is, man. That's, that came pretty late. I'm gonna be honest. Kind of lagging oh. over here. All right, you got first pick. Go ahead. <laughs> well, so this is. <laughs> The worst thing they've done 
I mean, I didn't go back as far as you. So you can have, you know, if you want to go the Yandi route or the Gomes trade or the, I don't know, the Dominic Leon DFA. <laughs> you're, you're taking this way I'll too go. seriously. <laughs> I, I, that's life, man. That's how I roll. I will go trading Junior Caminero for Tobias Myers. That didn't happen in the last year. So I don't want to hear it. I mean, I'm I'm going with one where we don't even know if the guy they gave up, I mean, he hasn't proven himself in the big leagues yet. So who knows how this will turn out? Here's a dilemma for me. Do I take, if you, you said it as if, if I do it, then you're going to rip me for it being obvious. But if I don't do this, then you'll just take it with your next pick and you'll have both of these you can have it. humongous. No, that, that one's too obvious. I'm going to say, since this, is, this can be anything we want, including there were rumors of this happening and that it fell through despite the fact that they had interest, I will go one step further than the catcher, not trading for Matt Olson, not pulling the trigger on getting that done because that dude... Look at the stat line for Olsen this year. What are you giving up for him? What 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 do they want? It's Oakland at the time. I never know what the Oakland Athletics are going to want out of a farm system. They probably would have wanted Freeman, Arias, and Rocchio, three guys everyone wants out of here. So, no, I think I don't know that you would have had all your uh, stud rookie pitchers. Caminero, by the way. Okay, they can have a he's Spino. Got a 522 OPS. <laughs> Guardians have won the <laughs> trade. Kind of so sucked. Kind of sucked. A Spino for Olsen. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go. Hmm. There's a lot of fun ones. I'm going to go. Hmm. Can I do a two parter? A two-parter. The hell are you talking Fine, about? No. Like, can you imagine the? You got to start. Like, unless you're the Houston Texans with the Browns picks for the next twenty-two years, no, you don't get a two-parter in your draft. Fine. Then you have to cut off the snake at the head. Then I will go trading for Miles Straw. Wow. Phil Maton, Yainer Diaz, mm. and honestly, maybe like as important as giving up Diaz, who has turned into a power hitter who never, ever, ever walks, but there's still value there. Um, it's just acquiring straw. And that trade looked like a win that first summer. And yeah. in the two years since, it has been pretty ugly, uh, ugliest this season. And I was going to tack on the extension and do a little... Double draft pick there, but if you never traded for him in the first place, you that's, wouldn't have been able to extend him. That's true. All right, well, I'll take him off the board now. Yandi to Tampa Bay. No, it was not a straight one-for-one. One. It was not Bowers for Yandi Diaz. We've covered this. But still, there was no other way to make that money work. There was no other way to ship out Encarnacion and bring back Santana and make this all work in the pocketbook without giving up Yandi Diaz. That was the only way it could happen. And Jake Bowers was the only player you could take back? 
Mm. In hindsight, yeah, it looks ridiculous. Do you remember who they traded Bowers for? No. No, I've already erased it from my brain. Damon Cassetta Stubbs. Cool. Awesome. Who is currently pitching for Ottawa in the Frontier League. It doesn't sound like that's a Cleveland affiliate. At the age of 23. Yeah, no. 24. No. I'm going to go trading Will Benson. The reason I go him over maybe Nolan Jones for I mean, Brito is maybe going to be a good player, but I, I don't... The pitcher they got for Benson, it, his walk rate is like astronomical. The hitter they got for him, who was I think a second round pick, didn't hit at all and then got injured. And who knows? Jury's out. The point is, it doesn't even matter. Um, at least Brito might be able to help the Guardians next season. The guys they got for Benson are not close. And Benson could have played center field. He certainly could have played right field. Um, he could have just helped immediately. And if you're going to trade one of those guys, fine. You felt you had a log jam. You believed in Will, Will Brennan and Oscar Gonzalez. Fine. But you traded Jones for another for a guy who had to be on the 40. So you didn't clear any roster spot there. And you traded Benson a week before spring training. Like, why did you feel like you had to do that? Couldn't you have done that trade at the end of March? If you felt com- confident in your outfield? It, very strange and... He was like exactly the type of player they were missing this season. Power, speed, defense, just draws walks. Like the changes he made in AAA in 2022, the reason he went from a guy who went unprotected in the Rule 5 to a guy who was in the majors, like those changes stuck. Strikeout rate's still a little high, but it's not. Sure. It doesn't make him unplayable. Sure. And he starts every day against righties for the Reds. And he's got the second highest OPS on that team. So I, that that is one that I continue to not understand. And I don't see how people could justify it. Whereas the Jones one, okay. Well, you put in all the, the hard work already. You put all the effort into getting Benson to being a playable major league player. And then you traded him away. <laughs> what? Usually it's like, uh, well, he does have all these raw skills, but that's a long road. We just don't think we can get there, so you trade him away. No, you put in all the effort, all the work to get him to being, if nothing else, a guy that had a very interesting skill set. The yes was still very raw, but you chose to go with Brennan and Gonzalez. And I could, I could go the, the straw route in here and say, by choosing to believe in Gonzalez, that led to maybe you trade Jones. Maybe you trade Benson in these situations. Now, Jones, because you'd got Brito, who really does look fantastic, it hurts now, but maybe it doesn't hurt so much in the future. Maybe it doesn't hurt at all in the future. We'll see. And so that is a little bit further down my list. Another one that would have initially been a lot higher is, again, that catcher in Atlanta, but I'm not taking him off the board yet. We've seen what's, what's happened with Bo Naylor. I like Bo Naylor a lot. But here's one. Signing Mike Zanino. I mean, you, you, you went with Zanino, okay. 
there was a chance, there was some scenario where he ended up being an upgrade of what you've had at that position. Sure, I'll listen to that, but we all knew it pretty quickly. After that first, what, two, three weeks of the season where he was actually contributing after that, I don't know, within a, about a month, I think we all could look at that and say, this is a guy that's if, if he's going to get right, it's not going to be this year, and it's probably not going to be for this team. And you've got this other guy down at AAA that is kicking down the door and it's demonstrating he should be up here right now. That was silliness. It, the, the fact that it, it took as long to get Bo Naylor up here and Zanino out of here, still a little bit mind-boggling to me. So I'll say signing Mike Zanino, period. I'll take that with my third pick. Yeah. It didn't cost much. They should have cut the cord earlier, but you did need someone to pair with Naylor, even if you wanted Naylor up earlier than he was up. So like I, I certainly understand that one. So maybe it's just in the wording. Anyway, it's not uh, signing so Zanino. Pick... It's sticking with Zanino as long as they did. Yeah. Fair. So I'm going to pull the old draft a running back in fantasy football and then also <laughs> draft his backup okay. just to be safe. Yeah, wait. I'm going to go Miles Straw extension. Okay, there you go. They're stuck with this guy. First of all, if I would have told you he'd have a 575 OPS, how many plate appearances would you guess he would get? Well, knowing what I know about the extension and what they're paying him, I probably would have assumed he would have gotten 400 at least, at the very least. Now, if I don't know that tidbit, He's at if, 503, if, and I, I really don't think that that was the plan for this sort of performance, especially with the defense taking a step back. But since Gonzalez and Brennan gave them nothing, it's sort of like there wasn't enough pressure to get him out of the lineup. You didn't have guys breathing down his neck. You know, Valera didn't force the issue. They owe Straw $4.9 million next season. 6.4 million in 2025, 7.4 million in 2026. He's not going to get faster. He's not going to get more bat speed. Um that's that's going to be rough. Like maybe they can attach a prospect to him and swindle someone this winter, but like that's that's really tough. Oh, that's He'll stupid. Turn 29 that, in a few weeks. That's stupid too. Because it should that amount of money should not prevent you and should not force you to trade a young player to get rid of that salary because that should not be standing in the way. Like, like, yeah, you shouldn't be paying him that amount of money, but it's not so crippling that you can't just spend that amount of money and spend a little bit more. That's silliness. This this team can't be giving away players and young players, young prospects to, to clear what should be a very little about amount of money. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at I the agree. idea. But this is the this is why I'm drafting this decision is because I mean in 2026 you're gonna have a 31 year old. And maybe maybe you can eat the money then. Oh, but yeah. okay, like next year, when this guy still has 13, 17, 18 million on the books over three seasons, about 18 and a half. Woof. Do you just let him waste away on the bench for three years as like your fifth outfielder? Like I, I don't, 
I don't know. It'll be interesting to see the manager's new philosophies on this and whether he'll still bat with the game on the line three times a week. <laughs> with, with no extension, they're able to move on quicker. You don't have this anchor tying you down to a guy who I don't know what changes he could even make to become a something close to a league average hitter. I, I don't know. I don't want to just completely rag on the guy, but with that contract, I mean, this feels like a lost cause. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where it gets any better. And I was willing to give him a little bit of a shot this year because he's still, if you go back to the year that he was acquired and when we first saw him, like that hitter for the entire season. I know he had some dips with Houston before they acquired him, but he came over here, was really good. And so if he was just that, if he was 10% below league average and the best defensive center fielder in the game, if not you know, top three, somewhere in there. Valuable player. No problem with this extension. And that's what they thought they were getting. Even if he took a step back from that, it wouldn't look horrendous. He, I mean, he's unplayable for, for many, many teams. If you're a team that's legitimately trying to compete, he's unplayable for you. Unless, you're, unless you got the, the rest of the eight, eight other Braves hitters and him. That's the only way where it works. But he has to be an elite defensive center fielder, and he hasn't even been that. And he's got to steal bases, and he's not doing that a ton. So, yeah, it's hard to imagine a scenario where that gets any better. So this would have been further up the list at the beginning of the season. It gets kicked down now. Not trading for Sean Murphy. The things that push it a little bit further down, you would have had to have given up one of the young pitchers to get that done. We, we knew that. The second thing is Bo Naylor. We all look at what he is becoming this year. We're excited for where he can go. And I mentioned this in the other the other night in the Discord. Is there a chance where he becomes the better Naylor hitter? More so than his brother? Is there a scenario where that could happen? I don't know. It's interesting because they don't completely do things the same way. Bo is much more willing to take his walks and, and maybe even has... Does he generate more power? But it's weird because the metrics would would tell you that Josh is the better raw hitter. There's there's more exit velo in there. There's more consistently hard hit balls. But we'll see with, with Naylor. Let's get back to the point with, with Murphy. The reason why it still is on this list, let's say you trade for Murphy. He's over here. He's doing all the, the terrific things he was doing for the Braves earlier in this year. You still bring up Bo Naylor. The one thing we said... They two, the two of them can coexist. But also, if there is a scenario where Bo Naylor comes up and looks like this guy, what is preventing you from then turning around and trading Murphy yourself? This very next offseason, it was was never the end of it. If you believed Murphy was a good player and you believed Naylor was a good player, you get them both in here, you have a a season with them both. And if at the end of that you decided, we're going to part with one of them, you could have recouped some of what you lost in the trade and maybe address the different part of your roster. So it still is on this list, despite the fact that it maybe is not as painful as it would have, as it certainly felt in March and April, and you're seeing him, Murphy, dominate baseball at the beginning of the season. All right, with my fifth pick, I'm going to go with the Josh Bell signing, which I liked at the time. Thought he was in for... A really nice season with shift restrictions. 
didn't happen. And for a team that is unwilling to spend money, you reached a point where you were so scared that he was going to opt in to next year's salary at 16.5 million that you traded him. And now you're, you saved a little bit of money, but you're still on the hook for Gene Segura. Um, so now you're definitely not getting anything out of the money that you've allocated to him. So yeah, uh, maybe Khalil Watson turns into something down the line. Um, but that was a bust and it was an expensive bust. And it was, it was a bust at a position where you really, again, it was a guy who you had to keep giving it bats, right? You had to let him try to figure it out for multiple reasons. Number one, you needed production in the middle of your lineup. And number two, it, the better he played, the more of a chance you didn't have to pay him next season <laughs> or he just figures it out and he's good and he's Sir. good for you next season. So and, I, and the metrics yeah, were that suggesting one, that he was not all, all awful, even when he was here. So it's yeah. not surprising that he went over to Miami and then broke out a little bit. We all kind of saw that coming. So I, they just, they needed to hit on that. And I, I'm surprised they didn't, um, 22 homers with with the Marlins. I mean, he's got an 839 OPS, 11 home runs. So it's it's more in line with what he's done in his career. Oh, that's what they were asking uh, for. But just, that's really it. Yeah, and he just never really, never looked like that guy that you were like, okay, he can carry the offense for two weeks. Well, it wasn't all on Bell either. The decision to make that trade was also because of all of the other factors of where they're at in the standings, the fact that this was a team with a lot of young... Look at the, the starting rotation now, what it is. Now imagine if somehow they had managed to stick around the race and you're trying to build now a playoff rotation where you've got a lot of youngsters that are shutting themselves down. And I can't well, I can't trust McKenzie yet. I can't trust Bieber yet. <laughs> like imagine being... So that was part of, of why they opted to trade Bell. Because what are you holding on to him for? At this point, you knew that it was going to be a long shot. And so you make the trade, despite the fact that overall, maybe a 106 WRC plus wouldn't have been exactly what they signed up for, but still 22 home runs on the season. It's kind of close to what they would have hoped for from from him. And I think, honestly, that's probably what they set the the realistic uh, floor to be. So it's weird. There was more at play than just, obviously, Bell. But yeah. Did not go the way they want. How about uh, not trading a shortstop? Because there were 42 chances to do it at some point, and somebody's going to be the odd man out here. Whether it's Tyler Freeman or Jose Tena or, you know, Ro- Brian Rocchio, Gabriel Arias, somebody's going to be just kicked to the curb at some point. And I'm not saying they could have, you could have traded one of those guys for this game changing offensive talent, but maybe you could have trade a, traded them for something else you could have needed instead of just having them waste away on the bench or be someone that you don't know how to use them. And it did, it did not sneak up on them because it's been mentioned on this show for about the fifth consecutive offseason. We're, we're coming up on that, I think. You could make a case that this should have been the number one pick. I, I If we could have tied it to Ahmed Rosario somehow, I think it would hold even more value in this draft. But... Yeah, the we should go back and listen to like pre twenty twenty one or pre twenty twenty two podcast to where we talked about the shortstop position and 
play that game? What if I would told you that nothing would be solved? <laughs> they're all still here. End of the 2023 season. <laughs> oh, the nightmare scenario. They're all still here and none of them have quite jumped up enough that you're like, damn, that's the guy. As much as I like Arius, he's still not there yet. That's a nightmare. All right. I'm going to... A lot of these, like... I don't know. I, the Jones trade, like, I'm not going to get up in arms about that. Um, I'm not sure when to pick that they should have traded Ahmed Rosario. And part of that, too, is the market. Mm. Like, I, I don't know. That one's a little tricky. I'm going to go not being with the team at the trade deadline. Uh, they had a hornet's nest. And I know for a fact that they could have seen this coming. I talked to people and I know that the preference is to be with the team on the road and that it's more logistically feasible to be in the offices getting everything done. But guess what? What's more important moving forward? You know, if, if you have to do a Zoom on your phone with some colleagues, like, you make it work. I'm pretty sure all these guys have multiple phones. Like, you can figure it out. And, you know, the timing of the trades, like, it's better to be safe than sorry. And they were sorry. And it then you had to fly down at 6.30 a.m. the day after the deadline. Um you know, the day, the morning after your team got no hit, two hours after they tr- traded the guy who was about to hit cleanup for them. So they know they should have been in Houston. And that's my sixth pick. It's weird, though. Are we, are we neither of us actually going to take Nolan Jones, despite the fact that we've mentioned him about 17 times? <laughs> it still is a mistake so far this year. And I mean, I, I like. Brito a lot. I think the team loves him. I mean, He's like Brady Quinn in the draft war room. <laughs> or Aaron, Rod- Aaron Rodgers in uh, uh, what year is that? Uh, I don't know. 05? Uh, I've got a couple more left on my list. None of them are that recent. One is as far back as I go. Okay, I'll just go with... This is a little bit unfair. Actually, this is a lot unfair. Because I... I don't think anyone realistically thought that, well, that's not true either. Because I remember there were some some conversations about Anthony Santander being taken in the Rule 5. But they let him go, and he's had a heck of a career with the Orioles while this team is wasting away trying to find anybody to play corner outfield. Is Santander a, a great megastar? No. Has he been a solid offensive talent? Yes. Could they have utilized him? Yes. Did they lose him for nothing in the Rule 5? Yes, was it a unique situation with with uh, him not being healthy with Baltimore? Also, yes, it's, it's confusing, but still it's on the list for me. So I'll say letting Santander go and in him blossoming into a pretty useful player with Baltimore. So the point of this exercise is we had hindsight, like we're not trying to say, I wouldn't have done this move. We're not smarter than the front office. But you're you're going back five years and nitpicking. That seems a little unfair. Um, I said it was. I said it was unfair. I know it. Still before I make it. my seventh pick, is this the la- pick. last pick? Okay, good. 
I did want to give an honorable mention. Might as well name a third trade with the Rays that they probably wish they wouldn't have done when they dealt Ruben Cardenas to the Rays, who had an 833 OPS in AAA this season. Uh, but the the main point there is they got Hunter Wood and Christian Arroyo. Neither guy did much in Cleveland, but they occupied 40-man spots. First of all, don't help the Rays by clearing up their 40-man problem, but also the 40-man clutter had been an issue for this team for a few years, so not played into it. That's my honorable mention. But I will go... I will go with the signing of one Eddie Rosario. Mm. That was their big splash entering 2021. And remember, they were a playoff team in 2020. I think our expectations were tempered going into 2021, but that was their big move. Another guy who like seemed to have a high floor because he was so good at making contact on any pitch in or out of the zone and just did not work in Cleveland. And then they dumped him for Pablo Sandoval, who never stepped foot in Cleveland. And then Rosario was the NLCS MVP, the postseason hero for the Braves on their march to the World Series. So just seems to be how it works. Um, but just another... You know, they've taken these stabs and like Mike Napoli worked fantastically. But the majority of these do not. Well, that's the point. That's these one-year deals are just that. You can't base your entire team around hitting on that all the time. You can't. It's the nice added bonus when it does. And it's the the cherry on top, but it can't be the actual ice cream holding up the entire Sunday. And for Rosario, He's still an above-average hitter. He's got, what, 21 bombs, I think, this year? 21 with Atlanta, 104 WRC+, and playing the majority of the time for the Braves. So the time was like, well, this this guy's career might be over, and so I understand just kicking him to the curb, and he's actually gone on to be a useful player again with the Braves. He had a tough year last year, but again, back to being a good, semi-good hitter. It is exactly how it goes. Okay, last one for me. Um, somehow we're not going to take Nolan Jones, although I think just we acknowledged it throughout this fun exercise or not-so-fun exercise. How about just letting Harold Ramirez go? Hmm. 21, when they brought him over here, he had a a good stretch. We saw some hard-hit balls, and we thought, maybe it's a building block, and then by the end of the year, it was like, okay, not a guy that you're... You're making like a cornerstone piece of your organization, but probably looks like a useful player. If there's somebody else you believe in, I get it to an extent. But he also had some kind of like, I'm not saying they're they're similar players, but in in, in terms of unique skill sets, he had a unique skill set like Benson did. He hit the ball so hard. Let's see what happens with this. He's just been a 118 and then a 124 WRC plus with Tampa Bay. And he doesn't have a tremendous amount of power, but he's, hit for a high average with them, and has been a very, very useful player. Plays the majority of the time for a team that's on the way to the postseason. So that's a big whoops. Knowing what we know now, keeping a Harold Ramirez, despite the fact that, yes, he does not fit defensively anywhere, and they've handed him a first baseman glove because they had nowhere else to... They didn't know what to do with the guy. So I know he was a tough fit, but still. Ended up being a really good hitter, and Tampa Bay's got the most out of him. I never understood why Matt Underwood referred to him as Big Harold. He's 5'10". I didn't get that. 
Mark Witten already had the hard-hitting moniker, so hard-hitting Harold. I don't know if that really would have worked. Hey, thanks for playing this game with me. That was fun. You sure about that? You sure about that? You sure about that? One final move that the front office made that we did not mention was signing their their second baseman to a, an extension. And maybe at times this year you thought, uh-oh, could he be, he be on a list like this? No. At the end of the year, obviously, he's finishing the season strong offensively. That's good to see. Got the numbers hovering around a league average bat. Considering some of the places he's been earlier this year, you certainly will take a 98 WRC+. plus. But the defense, my God, Zach. Some of the plays that obviously all season long, and we knew he was a great defensive player. We saw it all year last year. Is it just me, or is he just... He's turned it up another notch. He was good last year, but he has been... He keeps drawing comparisons to Roberto Alomar. I think he's better than Roberto Alomar, at least when he was here with Cleveland. I mean, Robbie was making some fantastic plays, and it was fun to see him turn double plays with Omar. But I think in terms of range and his arm, too, that he he can make throws going to his right, and then the plays going to the left, taking hits away, going into the where the shift would have been. He is, he st- Cleveland still has the shift. And his name is Andres Jimenez, and it's why, you know, as, as we're looking at what happens with the shortstop position moving forward, there's a lot of talk of maybe Jimenez slides over to shortstop, and maybe he does. Maybe that, that works because you are making room for Brito or something. I, I like having, well, certainly, I don't know if he would be the same defensive value at shortstop that he is at second base. Because right now, in terms of defensive runs saved, he's the third best defender in baseball this year. That's a that's a to to get that out of a, a guy at second base where the league has changed, and it is important to, to have a guy that can go get it in the hole, and make it so those base hits that other other teams are getting, they're not getting them against you, and then some of the double plays that he can turn, especially with Arias out there, that pair. Oh my God, are they special defensively? His season overall, he's gotten to a point where, I mean, I have no, no reservations. Like I, I would do this all over again. You're giving him the extension, fine, because as we've said, if this is his floor, kind of where he sits comfortably, and everything else just kind of gets better between where he was at last year and this year, he is by Fangrass War a three and a half win player for a guy that did not have a great offensive season. I think he's, I mean, 30 steals, 14 bombs, league average bat, and the best defensive second baseman in baseball. That's a hell of a player right there. Yeah, his floor is so high. And I think that's what gives you confidence moving forward with the contract is that He's such a good base runner. He's such an elite defender that you feel good about him moving forward, even though he didn't do anything offensively for five months, right? So that's a good place to be because you hope that he can learn from whatever ailed him this season and be better next year. You know, I think we said it recently. It's like if offensively he's somewhere in between this season and next season, that's a great spot to be in with everything else he gives you. So, yeah, it's 
it's an encouraging finish. Um, and I'm with you. I mean, defensively, it's it's to me, it's I don't care where he plays. You you benefit by him being so good and being flexible. This isn't his normal his natural position, so you can fit whatever suits your team best. You can fit him in wherever that is. If Brito's the guy and you want him at second base, stick him in as a short. If it's if you want to watch Arias and Jimenez turn double plays for the next six seven years, if that is what's best for the team, go do that. Like you, you have that option. So, um, he is just one of the people that I worry about the least, and that's that's a good thing. And even in a year where he's got a 713 OPS, I think that says a lot about him. And also, he just turned 25. Right. Right. Like, there's this doesn't have to be him forever. I, if you're looking below the surface, certainly the expected numbers are not as good as they were last year. And he didn't knock anybody's socks off with expected numbers last year, above average in a lot of categories. But. He was not a guy that you're like, oh, man, look at this guy hit 115 off the bat. No, he optimized. He was pulling his fly balls. He just looked like a more complete hitter last year. Maybe some confidence things at play for him throughout the year this year. Could be the case with a guy that spent most of his year at the age of 24. Sure, I'd buy that. You're still figuring out what sort of hitter you are at the major league level. So I don't think it's as simple as just looking at the fact that he rocked a, like a 350 BABIP last year and a 290 this year and thing. Oh, well, that'll get evened out. No, I think he's got some some things he needs to refine offensively, but the floor, as you said, wow, I'll take that. I'll take that because he looks like a, he certainly is a building block and the versatility makes it really nice. I, if I had my preference, I would prefer to keep him at second base because I like having, like, I don't know if it exactly works this way, but it does in my brain. It doesn't always translate this way in the numbers, but I always think, if you have a, a a guy that is tremendous, maybe the best defensive second baseman, or he's like really good at shortstop, I'm kind of tempted to keep him at second base where he's elite, where you keep, it doesn't work like this, but you keep some sort of advantage over the other team that doesn't have that elite defensive shortstop instead of maybe putting a guy that's adequate at defensively at second base, and then you have a guy that's good at shortstop and adequate at second base, I kind of like having the guy that's that's elite of the elite at second base, and then maybe you can have adequate, if not above average, and if it's Arias, then you're probably pretty close to elite there defensively as well. So that's intriguing to me. Depends how athletic your corner infielders are too. I, the more we talk about Jimenez, and the more my bottom line is, it's it just shows you how dynamic his season was last season. He did nothing wrong. He was so consistent, so well-rounded. And, I mean, his numbers, like the surface level, like the doubles are the same, the home runs are about the same, stolen bases went up by 10 so far. I mean, that the rules have helped with that. But the success rate is about the same. The walks and strikeouts are almost identical. Actually, the numbers are... He's played four more games this year. Um, like, everything looks pretty much the same, except... The average, the on-base percentage, and the slugging percent, like the slash on is just down in each category. And that's just, he's not hitting the ball right. where he needs to hit it right. enough. But 
yeah, I mean, it just shows you how good this guy was last season. I mean, Andres Jimenez, his first full year with Cleveland, finished sixth in the MVP voting. That's insane. <laughs> he was so good last year. Really was. And because he is still so young, yeah, he's he's entering. The next two years for him should be his best years. He should be. We're now entering his prime territory, and that's exciting. They're going to need more. We said it throughout most of the year. They're going to need more from Andre Jimenez next year, offensively, for sure, if they're going to want to get back to being an absolute real contention. But still, this is a this is a good player. I'm uh, this is like the the guys you look at and you're you're so worried about so many positions, and he just doesn't even enter my my brain anymore. We hope you'll consider joining our exclusive Guardians community of fans in our Discord. You get that additional episode, one per week for a buck, and you get access to the Discord. It's so much fun. We love being in the Discord, so Patreon is where it's at throughout the offseason. We'll be doing shows every single week, in addition to rotating through our week, our, our every other week schedule for our free ones here on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So thank you to those of you that are already part of our community, and that's really what it is. It's not just, hey, come get a couple extra shows. No, it's it's a community that I am so proud of, that I I love that the fans have taken it and made it their own. Like it's it's so far out of our control. I don't even try to step in there anymore. It's no longer ours. It's theirs. It belongs to our listeners, and I am so happy for that. Patreon.com/slash Selby is Godcast. We're gonna have a fun off season. We have so much to discuss. And I'm hoping you will come join our community over there. Five more games. Five more games. That means five more chances for me to buy you a beer. As a thank you for joining our Patreon and leaving us a five-star review. And then we go dry for the winter. (laughs) I don't know. If you catch us out somewhere, we still need to work on that. I know a lot of our listeners are spread out across the country, across the world. I've seen the numbers, but we got we to work on that somehow. Bring some of us together in more than just a Zoom variety. Selby is Godcast Vegas week? I don't know. That might not be so smart, I'll be honest. For you, I need definitely. I to sell a few more SeatGeek uh, <laughs> ads. <laughs>